We've been studying through the book of Acts together. And we're following the footsteps of the Apostle Paul as he travels on his missionary journeys. Now on his third missionary journey. And in chapter 19, where we'll be this morning, he has gone back to Ephesus. It's not his first time in Ephesus. He was there back in chapter 18 just for a short time. And he told the believers there, he said, I, if God would allow it, I'll come back. And God did. And so Paul comes back to Ephesus to minister. If you remember, we kind of touched on this ministry in Ephesus a little bit because when Paul left Ephesus the first time, he left behind two partners of his in ministry, Aquila and Priscilla. This couple that he'd met in Corinth making tents. He worked with them. They were his co-workers. They made tents together. And then they ministered together. And they went with Paul to Ephesus. And while they were in Ephesus, they met this guy by the name of Apollos. Apollos was highly educated. Apollos was a great speaker. Apollos had the ability to convince people of the truth. He could share the truth in such a way that people just wanted to listen and wanted to respond to it. But Apollos didn't really understand the gospel. And so Aquila and Priscilla took him aside. They ministered to him. They made a difference in Apollos' life. And through that, Apollos went on to serve the Lord, went back to Corinth and began to minister to the church there. And Paul, as we pick up the story in chapter 19, he makes his way back to Ephesus. And the Bible says in verse 1, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he, Paul, said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Now, if you're like me, the first time you read these verses, you say, I don't have any idea what's going on. And so it takes a little bit of research, and we did some of it last week. So I'll catch those of you who weren't able to be here last week up on some of that and review for those who were here. Because here we have two different baptisms being talked about. We have John's baptism. We have the baptism of Jesus Christ being talked about. We have the Holy Ghost being talked about. Why is this even important? I want you to notice a particular word. It's the last word of verse number 19. I'm sorry, chapter 19, verse number 1. And he, said, he uses the word disciples. Hang with me a little bit because we're going to do just a, a little bit of a Bible study this morning as part of the message. The word disciple in Scripture is often synonymous in our minds with a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is a good word to use here. The word simply means follower. The Greek word is mathetes. It's the same word that's used in the, in the Great Commission when he tells us to go and to make disciples. But here it's used to describe a certain group of people, later on we'll find out it was 12 men there in Ephesus who were known as disciples. But I think it's important to understand that the disciple mentioned here, these disciples, these were not actually true followers of Jesus Christ. 
Being a disciple is not always synonymous with being a Christian. You can be a disciple of a lot of different things. You could be a disciple of any number of religions. You could be a disciple of any number of different economic type principles that you're applying. You might have a, a particular professor, particular economics person, a particular motivational speaker, and you might say, I'm a follower of them. I'm a disciple of them. But being a disciple of something doesn't make you right with God. I would say, in fact, everybody's a follower of something or someone. And Paul, when he got to this city in Ephesus, he met some disciples, some followers. We see here, first of all, there's the problem of the learners. These learners, these disciples, these followers, they had a problem. They had a problem. Their problem was that they did not know Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you why we know that they did not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and why that was a problem. In fact, Jesus, even when He was on this earth, some of His disciples were not truly believers in God. Jesus, speaking about some of these disciples in John 6 and verse 66, said, From that a time many of His disciples went back and walked no more with Him. So even some of the disciples of Jesus were not saved. And so Paul asks a very important question. We see the inquiry of the Apostle Paul in verse 2. Paul says to them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Now why was this such an important question? Who is the Holy Ghost? Well, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, these names are synonymous in Scripture, is the third person of the Trinity. We have God the Father. We have God the Son, Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And all three function in different ways to accomplish the work of God in this world and in this universe. All are involved in creation. All are involved in salvation. All are involved in the work of transforming us to be like Jesus Christ. It's not that we have one or the other. It's that all three work together in the work to change us to be into the image of God. So the Holy Ghost is one of the persons of God. And as we study through the Gospels and then into the book of Acts, we see that the Holy Ghost was received when people received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. He said, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. To be sealed with something is to be given confidence of or to give assurance of something. So, we often think of this like in a business contract, in a financial arrangement, if you were buying a piece of property. You would put down some earnest money. This is the money that you put down so that you're proving to the seller that you're serious about buying that piece of property. And that earnest money is what guarantees that you're going to follow through 
with the rest of the contract. If you break the contract, if you walk away from it, you lose your earnest money. That same idea is what is used to describe how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you trust in Him, He gives you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. He indwells you. He empowers you to do the work of God. And He is the assurance or the earnest. He is the seal that God is truly at work in your life. That's why this question Paul asked these disciples was so important. Have you received the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, since you believed? Notice the wisdom with which Paul approached these people. See, they were confident that they had done everything they needed to do. They were, I would describe them as this, they were religious people. They were doing everything that they knew to do. They were following everything that they knew to follow, but they weren't okay. They didn't know Jesus Christ. If Paul had come in and just said, you're wrong, you need to do it my way, they likely would have become defensive and refused to hear. Instead, as he questioned them on their beliefs, on what had happened, they began to realize that there was more that they needed to know. If we're going to minister to the religious person in our society, to the lost person in our society, I think it's really important that we learn to ask some good questions. When you make statements, people are ready to defend themselves. When you ask questions, it helps people to think. Paul was asking an important question of these men. Because Paul understood if they had not received the Holy Spirit of God, then they had never truly received Jesus Christ as their Savior. These were good people doing good things, trying to be obedient to their religion, and yet they were still lost. Listen, you could be a good person this morning doing lots of good things to help lots of people. You could be faithful to what you know, to your culture, to your experience, to your religious upbringing, and you could still be completely lost Amen. this morning. You say, that sounds harsh. Who are you to say, I'm wrong? I'm nobody, but God is somebody. And God tells us that the only way to Him is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said it this way, I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, a lot of religions will teach you we well, can get to God through our religion. But there is no religion that can get you to God. Amen. If you were to go to many churches around us today, you might walk into one and it might have the name Catholic in the church name. Lots of wonderful, nice, kind, giving Catholic people, but being a Catholic won't get you to God. You could go to other churches and they'd have the name Baptist somewhere in the name. Lots of wonderful, kind, giving, and even a few strange Baptist people. But just because you go to a Baptist church won't get you to God. There are some places called 
uh, Mormon churches or the Latter-day Saints. Lots of very moral, upright, kind people with sharp-looking families, hard workers. But they're lost. Going to a church won't get you to God. Following a religion won't give you a personal relationship with the Lord. These people here in, in Ephesus, they were religious people. They were even known as disciples, followers. Their life so clearly followed a path that other people said, these are disciples, these are followers, these are learners. But they were still lost. Say, well, how do you know they were lost? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit of God. Paul wrote in another letter in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, he said, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Say, so why are you emphasizing this so much? Because you are either in Christ, you either of Him, or you're outside of Him. You are not of Him. You do not have Christ. It's not a question of, well, I've received Christ and I'm still waiting for some future blessing. No, he said, if you've received Christ, you've received the Spirit of God. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you haven't received Christ. You see, a relationship with God isn't just words that you say. It's not just things that you do. The Scripture says it very plainly. It's for by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's not of works. It's not of anything that you can do. It's only through Jesus Christ. See, Paul, he had a very interesting question, his inquiry, his inquiry here. But I wonder, Christian, you say, well, I am believing in Jesus Christ by faith. Do you know enough about your God? Do you know the Bible well enough to be able to even ask somebody else an intelligent question about their religion, their faith. I don't know how many times I've been with somebody and sharing Christ and somebody says, well, I'm this or I'm that, and fill in the blank with whatever religion they are or whatever church they go to. And while I listen kindly to that, I look back to them and I say, it's no religion, it's no church, it's no priest, it's no preacher that's going to get you to God. It's only through Jesus Christ. But if you've spent any time sharing Christ with others, you know, like me, that you've heard people say, well, I'm this, or I go to such and such a church. Wonderful. But that church won't get you to God. You say, this sounds harsh, well, Jesus called it a narrow way. And He said, there's few there be that find it. But I want you to know, it's available to all who would walk that way. You say, it sounds exclusive. It is through Jesus Christ alone. It doesn't make me special or you special in comparison to anybody else. Rather, it ought to humble you and humble me to say we know the way. And it ought to motivate us to share that way with others. We see Paul's inquiry. We also see the ignorance of the disciples. I want to point out that they were not willfully 
ignorant. They were doing everything they knew to do. They just didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. They, they, it was beyond their understanding. There are many religious people like this in our world today. People who, I go to church, I, I do what I'm supposed to do, I follow this or I follow that. They're doing everything they know to do. The problem is you can do everything you know to do and it not be enough. Because you can't do enough to have a relationship with God. It is through Jesus Christ. Well, I'm nice. Well, I give. Well, I'm not a bad person. Hey, I've never robbed any banks. I've never killed anybody. Jesus went on and on, and we've been studying through His Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday nights. Jesus spoke over and over how it wasn't through the good works that they were going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. See, these disciples, they were comfortable with their situation. But they didn't know that their situation was wrong. And once they learned that they needed to know more, they were eager to hear about it. So we see the problem of the learners. I want you to see, secondly, the proclamation of the Apostle Paul. Look with me back in Acts chapter 19 and verse 4. The Bible says, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him, which should come after Him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Who's this John? This is John the Baptist. As he would baptize people, he said, but you're not just believing in Me, you're believing in the One who's going to come after Me, Jesus Christ. When they heard this, notice their response, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. There were 12 men here. John's baptism, we see, was unto repentance. John's baptism prepared the way of Christ. But these men still had to decide what they would do with Christ now that they had become aware of the fact that Jesus Christ had come, He'd lived, He died, and He rose again. You see, these men had to make up their minds what they would do with Jesus. And the reality is the same for you this morning. You need to make a decision. What will you do with Jesus? Will you accept Him and trust in His way? Or will you reject Him and keep going your way? It's really a simple decision that every person is faced with. What will you do with Jesus? Some people try to ignore it. and say, well, I'll wait till later to make up that, my mind on that. Other people say, well, I'm so busy, I don't have time to even consider it. But the truth is, everybody needs to decide what they will do with Jesus have you trusted in Jesus? See, Jesus is God's Son. God sent Him as His only begotten Son. And He says that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John preached that people needed to repent because the Messiah was going to come into the world. But that's very different from the message of the church starting on the day of Pentecost. There Peter preached, 
Repentance based on accepting Christ's sacrificial death on the cross as necessary for salvation. See, it was understandable that these people in Ephesus hadn't heard all of the truth yet. But when Paul came and he proclaimed the truth to them, they trusted in the truth. See, they needed to believe on Christ. Now, I want to point out something very important here from the text. It is significant that Paul did not challenge them to receive the Holy Ghost. Remember his question? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? When they said, no, we don't even know who the Holy Ghost is, Paul didn't say, well, then receive the Holy Ghost. There are those in our world today that would say that's just people's problem. They just need to receive the Holy Ghost. But that wasn't Paul's way. That wasn't Paul's way of doing it. Instead, Paul challenged them with the truth of Jesus Christ. One of the concerns I have in our world, especially among believers, among true Christians, is that they try to bypass the gospel when they help people. What do I mean by that? They see somebody who's struggling in their marriage, somebody who's struggling with their finances, somebody who's having a hurt or problem somewhere in their life, someone maybe who doesn't have the evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life, and so they try to give them a few tips on this area or fix their problem in this area over here. Say, here's some good principles to follow with your finances. Here's some things to help your marriage. And while those things are good, if we bypass Jesus, they're not anywhere in a better place than where we found them in the first place. You see, the only way to God is through Jesus. You can't bypass the gospel to get to God. This is so important because Paul could have looked at their problem. They don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's have a 10-week study on who the Holy Spirit is. Paul says, wait a minute. Let's go back to the starting point. Let's see if they even have trusted in Jesus Christ in the first place. You see, when you meet somebody who's struggling, they're going to have all kinds of things. And often when you talk to somebody, they'll tell you problems that they're facing. And it's easy to want to say, let me fix your problem. The challenge that sometimes we face is you see certain people's problems and you say, all right, here's how I'm going to fix their problem. Stop it. Stop doing that. Why do you keep doing those dumb things over and over and over again? And you wonder, why don't they ever change? Why don't they ever stop? I mean, wouldn't they be as smart as me and just do the right thing and not have that struggle? I don't know why people struggle with these things over and over and over again. Sometimes in our pride, we act like that. And that's wrong. What's their problem? Why don't they deal with their addiction? What's their problem? Why don't they just stop doing this? Why, why are they going through with this bad thing? Don't they see how much it's hurting them and the people around them? They need to just stop. And that's the extent of a lot of people's counsel when you really boil it down. Let me give you some tips and tricks so that you can have the strength to stop. And you wonder why nobody does. It's because you can't bypass the gospel to bring people into a right relationship with God. When we try to fix people's addictions, when we try to help people overcome their financial struggles, when we try to help people deal with whatever issues going on in their life, in their marriage, and we say, well, I'm nervous to talk to them about Jesus. 
we're not helping anybody. I believe if Paul had just stopped and talked about the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have had the opportunity that he did with these people. See, God, let me just paint the picture where this is going. As these 12 trust in Christ and God begins to work there in Ephesus, God uses Ephesus as a basis for ministry that reaches the whole region for Christ. In fact, most Bible scholars believe that all seven churches mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 were started during this two to three year period that Paul was in Ephesus. You know who started them all? It wasn't Paul, because Paul was in Ephesus. It was the people that were reached with the gospel who went out to minister in those places. See, they needed to believe on Jesus Christ. Their baptism here signified their spiritual union with Christ. Go back to verse 5. When they heard this, they heard of Jesus Christ. They understood what He had done. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptism, as we talked about last week, it's not a magical event. Rather, it's a picture. It's an identification. It's a public declaration of your faith to others. It's identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hence the reason we take somebody dry, we put them in a pool, and we put them under the water, and we bring them back up. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then their faith was acknowledged by the apostles, by Paul. They came and laid hands on them. They said, we see the evidence of God at work in their lives. And then the Bible says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Look at verse 6. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. What are tongues? Well, tongues are mentioned several times in the book of Acts. This is the third time here in the book of Acts that they've been mentioned. They were mentioned in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and now in Acts chapter 19. And each time, this ability to speak in tongues or to speak in another language that was not your native language, each time this gift was given as a sign to the unbelieving Jews. In other words, the people that God had chosen, the Jews as His own special people, God gave this special gift to be a confirmation, a sign to these unbelieving Jews that the gospel really was the truth. Now, today we have the completed Word of God. This is not a a gift we see being in use like it was here in the New Testament but it was always done to help unbelievers know the truth and to trust in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 14.22, Paul wrote this, Wherefore, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. That gets mixed up in today in the world that we live in today as well. People will try to use tongues as a sign to believers that they're true believers. That's not what they're for. It's to those that believe not. He says, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So notice what happens here. They speak in tongues. This was evidence of God's changing their life. This was a sign to unbelieving Jews that God was at work in their life. And then they also prophesied. They began to speak the truth. 
while speaking in tongues may not be something that you or I are experiencing in this day, I absolutely believe that every person who's truly accepted Christ as their Savior will have a desire to share their faith with others. To proclaim, to prophesy the truth of what God has done in your life. When we hear the word prophecy, we immediately think of things that haven't happened yet that we're talking about. But in Scripture, the idea of prophecy has two different ideas. One is speaking truth that hasn't taken place yet. The other is proclaiming the truth that already has taken place. And that's what we see in this instance. They weren't writing new Scripture that hadn't, be written, hadn't been written yet. They were speaking the truth that already was known. And they were proclaiming it to others. They were proclaiming it to others. This proclamation of the Apostle Paul, and it says there, there were 12. I, I find that verse interesting. Luke gives it to us. We know how many people are there. But I want you to notice, it's not because Paul had a gigantic ministry with thousands of people here when he got to Ephesus. It's 12. 12. God doesn't need a lot of people to get a lot of work done for Him. Paul's church, if you will, at Ephesus was never really large, but it had a large impact. Jesus, while He had large numbers of followers at various points in His life, when it came down to the end, He just had a handful. It's easy for us to look at People have lots of followers and say, well, they're having an impact. But when I study the Scripture, like in passages like 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, where Paul tells Timothy to find faithful men and teach them who shall be able to teach others also, I believe impact ought not to be measured just by the number of people that you or I teach, but by the number of people that you teach who then teach others. You ever thought about that? Think about it. As a parent, how do you measure your impact? It's not necessarily by the number of children that you have. It's rather by how well your children go on and live out the truth that you've instilled in them. There's a lot of people that have children who are not good parents. Having children doesn't necessarily make you a good parent. Having a large group of people doesn't necessarily make you a good leader. I mean, we live in the United States of America, right? We got a lot of people here in our country, but it doesn't mean that we have great leadership. You can't measure the long-term impact of God's work by the number of people that are there at one given point. Rather, you measure the impact by the ongoing implications of that work in a society, in a city, in a community. Dave and Casey are working to get a group of churches together to minister to mothers, to unborn children. But if you got a bunch of churches to show up, but then none of those churches continued in that, you'd say, 
Our impact was limited. The goal is to find faithful ones who will then teach others also. That was the goal of Jesus Christ. You think about the end of His life. There was nobody left with Him. All His disciples had run away and hid. He has John and His mother Mary. A couple other ladies there at the cross. But Christ wasn't a failure because those few multiplied and reached others who reached others also. So don't skip over verse 7 of Acts 19 that there were only 12. Because I want you to see here as we finish up the message this morning, the pattern of the Apostle Paul, his example that he gives to us in his ministry. Look at verse 8. And he, Paul, went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. That's a long time for the Apostle Paul in one synagogue. Usually he was kicked out sooner than that. (laughs) Disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. This continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek. What's his pattern Well, we can see, first of all, that he boldly proclaimed the truth. Back in verse number 8, he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months. Throughout the New Testament, we see prayers for boldness to declare the truth of God's Word. Acts 4.29, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Ephesians 6 and verse 19, Paul says, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. At the end of Acts, Acts chapter 28, verse 31, the Bible says, Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no man forbidding him. Now, you've got to catch this. Acts 28, 31, it says, no man forbidding him. Do you know where Paul was when Luke wrote that no man was able to forbid him? Nobody was able to stop him when he was sharing the gospel with confidence, with boldness. Do you know where he was? He was under house arrest in Rome. I don't know about you, but if I was under house arrest, I'd kind of feel like I didn't have as much opportunity. I would feel like people were opposing me. I would not have the ability to do what I once could do if they locked me down. And I like to go. I like to do things. I like to be out. I like to talk to people. I wonder about that. Could your ministry, could your service go forward if they locked you down? Well, Paul's did. Why? Because I think Paul understood that his ministry was not just through what he did. His ministry was in the power and the strength that comes from God Almighty. If we're going to stand up for Christ in this day, we need boldness. We need strength. We need courage to speak out for Christ, to stand up for the truth, to point people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Paul could have talked about a lot of things, but he focused, here it tells us in verse number 8, he focused on the kingdom of God. There is no merit or benefit in watering down the truth or compromising to gain a larger audience. We must proclaim what the Bible says, no more and no less. Preach the kingdom of God. This life is, this world, this life, it's a vapor. It appears for a little time. It vanishes away. Only what's done for Christ will last. Someday you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life and you're either going to have to lay up, you're going to have wood and hay and stubble that'll burn up or you'll have gold, silver, and precious stones that'll last forever. You can't take anything from this world with you except for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. If we point people to Jesus, that gives them eternal hope and eternal life. It's no wonder that Paul sets the pattern for us of boldly proclaiming the message. You say, well, Paul... He was just better at it than me. For Paul, he had his struggles. In fact, he prayed three times that the Lord would remove his thorn in the flesh. He said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Paul experienced government oppression, persecution, both from the Jews and the Gentiles. If Paul was... If we were around, when Paul was around, Paul was a guy, if you hung out with, you might end up in prison. You might get dragged up in front of a court of law. That's what happened to a lot of his followers. A lot of the people that ministered alongside of him would say, hmm, Paul's preaching there on Sunday? I'm going to find a different church to go to. No, today our, our uh, religious spiritual celebrities, if they show up, every, oh, I want to go hear so-and-so. Well, people wanted to hear Paul, but it came with a risk. Why? Because Paul preached Christ. And the message of Christ was unpopular then. Perhaps even more unpopular than it is today. He boldly proclaimed the truth. But not only did he proclaim the truth, he imparted his life. It says he was there in the synagogue for three months. And then when the people didn't want to hear him there anymore, he went to the school of Tyrannus. He separated out those who wanted to follow the truth. And he kept teaching them. The school of Tyrannus we can read about in the history books. It was a place where they would come together there in Ephesus and they would speak and teach on various topics. It was open in the morning. And so Paul secured space in the afternoon to come in and teach the truth. So those that wanted to follow the truth came in the afternoon. Paul is ministering, understand, in the great city of Ephesus. This city was known for its pagan idolatry. It was the center of worship for Artemis or the goddess Diana. Depending on whether you're a Greek or a Roman, you would have a different term for them. This temple, and we'll see more about it next week, was so large, it was so powerful, all of its influence, that it was known across the world. In fact, today, historians look back and say that this temple of Diana is one of or was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this is where Paul the Apostle is ministering. 
In fact, in just a few uh, next week, you'll see his ministry, the ministry of the gospel had such an impact in Ephesus that the sales of idols went down. And because the sale of idols went down, the idol makers, the silversmiths, got mad. Because all of a sudden, the ministry of the gospel started having a negative impact on their pocketbook. You talk about upsetting some people. He's taking away our livelihood. You talk about an impact. But how many people did he have? Twelve, plus whoever they reached. You see, Paul's ministry wasn't effective because he had a large crowd. Paul's ministry wasn't effective because he just had a unique way with words. Paul's ministry was effective because he boldly proclaimed the truth and because he imparted his life. He was willing to give himself completely to those that he ministered to. You see, you cannot truly disciple and lead somebody else without pouring your life into theirs also. This is the same process that Jesus followed with His disciples. They were with Him almost continually for three solid years, learning not just from His teaching, but from His example as well. If you really want to follow Christ, coming to church is not enough. You say, Pastor, do you not want people to come to church? If people don't come to church, they won't give in your offering plate. They don't give in your offering plate, then you won't get paid. Listen, I, I'm not doing this because this is a job. There are lots of ways I could go make money. We're here because we want to know God and walk with Him. You say, what do you mean coming to church is not enough? Walking with Christ is a seven-day-a-week 24-hour a day, 365-day-a-year thing. And if, if your walk with Christ is just sort of centered around an hour or two on a Sunday morning, it's not a real walk with Christ. It's just something you do. You're just another religious person. Say, so what are you saying? I have to be at church every day of the week? When am I supposed to go? No, understand. You're not in church in this building every day. But you can still read your Bible every day. You can still spend time with other believers throughout the week. Yesterday, sitting at my house, we didn't sing any songs. I even didn't preach. But we fellowship with the believers. So what is a Christmas party? It's not about the Christmas party. It's about the believers being together and being encouraged. You say, well, I, I couldn't be there. That's okay. But find somebody else through the week that you can encourage, that you can give your life to. See, Paul's ministry was effective, not just because he boldly proclaimed the truth, that was important, but because he was willing to impart his life to somebody else. Hey, Mom, why is your ministry to your kids effective? It's not just because you cook a good meal. It's because you're with your kids. Because you spend time with them. A ministry as a pastor is not effective just because you preach a good sermon on Sunday. It's because you're willing to walk with people on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. 
I think in our society, we've just, we've gotten this idea that being a Christian is sort of this professional thing. It's something I show up and I do. I look right and I talk right and I, I follow the right thing and then I go home. That's just empty, dead religion. Yeah. It's a relationship. Relationships are hard. Relationships take time. Relationships require us to build trust. This is what Paul is doing for at least two years. In fact, as you read through the chapter, it's probably even longer than two years. He truly meant what he said in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. But we see one more thing about his pattern, his example. Paul was willing to endure hardness. As he's preaching, as he's teaching, as he's ministering, it says in verse 9, but when divers, a variety of people were hardened, they hardened their hearts. From the grammar of this, we can understand that this hardening was not an overnight decision, it was gradually. Somebody has said that the gospel of Jesus Christ is similar to the sun in that it can harden clay and it can melt butter. You see, if you'll receive God's Word, if you'll listen and heed it, it'll melt you like butter. It'll change you. It'll transform your life. But if you resist it, it'll harden you little by little by little. This hardening implies a process. Many hearts were hardened to the Gospel as they heard it repeatedly but refused to accept it. I was out with Brad a few weeks ago and sharing the gospel with some people. We had somebody that reacted very negatively to just a kind, sir, we'd like to tell you about Jesus. And you say, why was he so negative? And Brad said this to me. I thought it was very interesting. Brad said, I've never met anybody who rejected the gospel who was only hearing it for the first time. That was an interesting anecdotal story. He said, in my experience, those who just reject it very harshly are those who have heard something about it before. That was interesting. I know it's Brad, it's not Bible, but that's an interesting thought, isn't it? So when you are ministering to somebody and they seem very hard, it can be discouraging. You want to give up. Let God's Word do its work in their life because God can break up the fallow ground too. His Word is like a hammer, the Bible says. That's a painful thing when God's Word has to do that in your life. But God loves people enough to do that. But keep sharing the truth. The enemies of the Gospel were speaking negatively of that way. Notice in verse number 9 again, it says, they spake evil of that way before the multitude. The, the idea of the way is referred to over and over through the book of Acts as the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so before people were called Christians or Christianity, it was just known as the way. You're a follower of the way. Did you know 
Paul the Apostle, before he was Paul the Apostle, he stood against people who were trying to follow the way as well. In fact, that terminology is used in Acts chapter 9 and verse 2. It says, and he desired of him letters to Damascus, this is Paul, to the synagogues that he found any of this way. There it is. Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Paul was trying to stop people from following the way of Jesus Christ. And so when Paul experienced this slander against him, it didn't stop him. There were oppositions, there were falsehoods, but Paul kept going. He separated from those who were argumentative and he took the ones who truly desired to learn more about the Lord and the truth. And many, I already said this once, but it, it's worth repeating. Many people believe that all seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation 2 and 3 were started during this period of time that Paul's in Ephesus. He writes the book of 1 Corinthians during this time. There's all this ministry taking place all around the world. And Paul is in Ephesus ministering to a handful of people. Notice how effective the ministry was. Look at verse number 10, and this continued by the space of two years, so that, hear this, all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. They all heard. Was it because Paul told them all? No. It's because the people who chose to follow Christ, their life was so different that everybody noticed. And he said, what happened to them? Why are they so different? Why are they now following a different way? Because Christ had changed their life. I wonder if anybody saw you or me, if anybody talked to us, if anybody came to our house, if they would know that we were different. If it would tell somebody how to know Jesus Christ just by seeing the pattern of your life. I wonder... Are you pointing people to Christ? If an unbeliever got in your car after church and went to lunch with you or went to your house, would they hear about Christ? Or would they see a very different person than the person who is sitting in here in the service on Sunday morning? If an unbeliever went to work with you on Monday, and lots of them do, Do they know that you know Christ? Does it make a difference in your life? If an unbelieving person were to have access to your finances, and they say, oh, this person clearly is a follower of Christ. If an unbelieving person were to be able to scroll through your phone and see all your recently watched videos, Oh yeah, that person's clearly a follower of Christ. These men had a tremendous impact. Oh, and there were some women involved too. We already heard about how Priscilla was involved in this work in Ephesus too. This was the body of Christ all coming together to serve God and to make a difference. His life is short. No, you can't impact everybody personally. Man, it can almost be discouraging sometimes when you see the opportunity and say, I, I just can't even scratch the surface. 
Well, God hasn't called you to change everybody's life. God is the one that does the work. God's called you to be faithful where you are, in your sphere of influence, at your dinner table, in your office, in your spare time, in your place of impact. Religious people need Jesus. It wasn't just the religious people, it was the Jews and the Greeks. They were religious, just not. <laughs> there was pagan idolatry. They're worshiping in the temple of Diana. They're selling their bodies to worship their false god. It, you don't even want to see a picture of what the idol Diana even looked at. Awful pornographic stuff. And this was on display in this wonder of the ancient world. It's awful stuff. But they all heard and many believed. It's going to be pretty neat someday to get to heaven and meet some of the original 12 in Ephesus. Can you imagine the stories they're going to be able to tell? Next week you'll hear how all the silversmiths in town, and there were a lot of them, because see, people from all over the world came to Ephesus, and so they'd all buy a souvenir idol because they couldn't worship in the temple, so they'd have to take an idol of Diana home to put on their shelf at the house so they could still worship Diana. They made a lot of these. There were so many of them that when they all got together to stand against Christianity, they filled up an amphitheater. You can still go and visit this amphitheater today. And archaeologists tell us it sat 25,000 people. And they all packed in there and said, great is the goddess Diana. Because they hated the work that God was doing because it hurt their bottom line. I wonder if our ministry as a church ever hurt the bottom line of somebody who was doing evil in this world. If we're having an impact as a Christian, it ought to. Salt and light, right? What's God called us to do? What's He commissioned you to do? What's He given you the ability to do? You're not me and I'm not you. Don't try to be me and I won't try to be you, but let's try to be the people God's created us to be to follow Jesus Christ to make a difference in this world. And I believe as we all do our part, you serving where God's put you, me serving where God put me, all together, this body is powerful. God's changing lives. He's restoring marriages. He's helping boys and girls to actually learn what Christmas is really about. It's more than just present. And that matters. This world doesn't want you, they just want you to buy more presents. That's all you're going to hear. Oh, this Christmas spending is down. Black Friday spending is down. Why do I care? Well, because that's the economy going down. So your house is worth less. Cars cost more. Inflation is up. Yep. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Yeah, what are we doing about that? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we thank you <clears throat> for your word. Lord, you know my heart. I felt a little bit repetitive over the last couple of weeks. 
but I believe it's just where you have us. Going back over some of the same themes and subjects here. So Lord, I ask that you take your word and do your work in hearts that only you can do. We need you. Lord, we do look around and we see the struggle. We see the sickness. We see the financial needs. And it's hard. Those things do have an impact on our lives. Lord, they only impact this physical life. And what's done for you has impact for eternity. Father, there may be somebody here today that's never trusted in Christ. They've never walked in the way. Lord, work in their heart today. They would be saved. Lord, for those who are hurting, lost, discouraged, pray that they would find hope and encouragement in you today. Lord, it's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with you. May we as believers be faithful to share that message be willing to impart ourselves to endure even the hardness that comes with that, all for the glory of God and because of the lost people in this world that need Jesus. Help us now as we respond in faith and in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand to your feet. The piano's going to play, and if God's spoken to your heart, you say, hey, I need to commit something to the Lord. Maybe you'd like to come and join with our church and make it official to follow God that way. Maybe you need to trust Christ and follow Him for salvation. Maybe you need to confess some sin to God. Would you just take time to do that right now? You can come down here. I'll talk to you quietly. I'll turn my mic off or get somebody to take you aside in a private room. Or if you want to sit in your seat, pray there. Whatever God's leading you to do, you just be obedient to Him. Follow Him today.